When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 18th, day five of the 2024 Australian Open, now officially in the books. This was a day to remember for tennis fans everywhere. One of those gifts we're just every so often blessed with from the tennis gods where you have thrilling action from start to finish on a day's schedule, and that is certainly what we were gifted on day five of this 2024 Australian Open. Of course, it started with three deciding set thrillers, both Sasha Zverev and Kasper Ruud requiring fifth set deciding tiebreakers to ultimately advance to round number three. If that wasn't enough, world number one Iga Svantec found herself on the brink of elimination, down double break 4-1, as well as 2-4 love 40 serving in her deciding set against Danielle Collins, yet somehow with her forehand nowhere in sight, Sviantec found a way to grind to a three-set victory, advance to round number three. And of course, those three matches were so thrilling. I had to offer an emergency podcast to all of you listeners. Felt compelled to share my reaction immediately to what were three outstanding matches. And certainly, again, you record a podcast like that, it's going to keep you up late at night. By the time I was done recording that, I figured, hey, might as well record my day six preview. I'm up anyways. There might be some good tennis to stay up for at this point. Eventually dozed off around 4 or 4.30 a.m. Eastern time when I woke up around 10 to prepare for my morning cracked interview episode. I did not expect there to still be Australian Open tennis on the television, and yet that was the pers- uh, precisely, excuse me, the case. Daniil Medvedev playing past 3 a.m. Australia time, coming back from two sets to love down to defeat Emil Rusevori and advance to round number three. Now, why was Medvedev forced to play so late into the night? Well, it's because the match, excuse me, preceding him was decided 22-20 in their deciding set breaker on a blink of a pulling off the upset of the tournament to date. 7-6 in the third. Again, 22-20 in that third set deciding breaker. She knocks off Elena Rabakina. Rabakina fighting off her first nine match points that she faced. I believe she had six match points of her own in that third set breaker. This one was a thriller but in every sense, meaning definition of the word. And again, that's just five right there. Five of the 32 singles matches we had. No, excuse me. Is that correct? Yeah, 32 singles matches we had throughout the course of day number five's action. And of course, what did I do to prepare so all you listeners would not have to? I watched highlights at the very least, the three-minute package, eight-minute package, or the full duration of these matches from each—I've uh, watched at least a little bit 
of each and every one of these 32 matches to help, again, keep you listeners up to date in case you weren't able to stay up late, weren't able to keep up with everything that unfolded. As always, I want to tackle all 32 of those results on today's show. I do want to point out, I'm well aware, yesterday's episode not posted on YouTube. We did have some technical difficulties. That will happen in week one of any new content exercise, but we do believe we will have this episode posted for you on YouTube on Thursday. And I am telling you, come check out our recently renovated Crack Racket studio. Daniel Westoff has done a superb job on top of super producer. He might just be interior decorator as well. And again, we're really proud of our work. We're really excited to expand our YouTube portfolio of content, hopefully grow our audience there, as well as provide you listeners a new avenue to enjoying uh, your podcast experience, whether it is continuing to listen uh, via these episodes, which will still be posted every day, or whether it is to come watch us, join us on YouTube, if that is your preferred platform of choice. Again, we're going to start posting these episodes moving forward, so be sure to check them out and be sure to subscribe to our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, where you can watch our first three college tennis broadcasts of the 2024 season. We are going to be parked in Stillwater, Oklahoma, to watch the Oklahoma State men and women kick off their 2024 campaigns. The Oklahoma State men taking on a perennial top 25 school in Middle Tennessee. The Oklahoma State women get a top five showdown in their opening match Fridays. They're going to take on Michigan. That match coming right after the men's match. And then Sunday, they take on a top 15 opponent in Ohio State. Again, fantastic college tennis to kick off our 2024 coverage. We hope you'll join us. Uh, Obviously, these matches happening during the day here in the United States when there is no Australian Open action for it to conflict with. So be sure to come get your tennis fix during the day. Come join us. Come enjoy the College Tennis World again broadcast Friday, Sunday. Rest assured, we will still have podcasts for you recapping all the action in Australia on those days, whether we'll be able to post them or videos or not, I suppose, depends on A, my mood, B, if Daniel Westhoff has any energy left in his tank as well. So not sure if we'll have videos this weekend. We will certainly continue to have podcasts for you as we continue to enjoy what has been a thrilling first major to date of this 2024 season. And with that in mind, again, I want to break down all 32 results from day number five for all of you listeners. Of course, I am going to provide some organization as always. I've enjoyed sticking with this theme of offering you the headlines to start every day. And I do want to point out again, there's an emergency podcast on all things Sviantec, Zverev, Rude. So I'm going to steer away from those matches here on this particular show. But you can go listen to that emergency episode to catch up on those action. Uh, th- that action, I will play a little bit of cleanup on those matches here on today's show. But I've got five headlines for all of you listeners. First and foremost, we got to obviously get into the tactics, the thriller that was that Medvedev five-set marathon. How frequently has he been able to overcome a two-set? to a deficit in his career. I will answer that question for all of you listeners today. And then let's get into the upsets. Again, Rabakina had six match points, fought off the first nines she faced, yanks a backhand approach wide on the 10th. Ayanna Blinkova, the 25-year-old from Russia, pulls off the upset and victory of her career. We'll get into the mechanics of that win, whether you need to hit the panic button. If you're a Rabakina fan, what about Jessica Pagula? I think you might have to hit the panic button after her first month in Australia. It wasn't just the fact that she lost the match to Clara Burrell in straight sets. It was a concerning month overall. Again, just the the gravitas, the 
weight of shot for Jessica Pagula. It didn't seem to be there all month long. It certainly wasn't there yesterday against Clara Burrell. We'll break down her loss and, again, give a quick look at where she goes from here following a disappointing first month of 2024. After that, again, the men's seeds, I don't know how they do it, but they have continued continue to survive. I believe men's seeds 14-3 and three overall in five set matches through the first two rounds of play. That said, we did have our first top 16 upset in the men's singles draw. Holger Runa knocked out of this event, so we'll get into all of that. We'll look at the players who have thrived this month. Alina Svitolina, Emma Navarro, Linda Naskova amongst them. And then we'll clean up some of the other things you might have missed. Obviously, someone like Anna Kalinskaya, not going to get the headline. She has carried her exceptional form to end 2023 into the start of 2024. If you listened to our draw previews, you knew I liked her chances coming into this event. Everything's broken perfectly for her. We'll get into that storyline. Some American upsets. You had Sloane Stevens, Alex Mickelson doing impressive things. Obviously, again, want to follow up on those Iga, Rude, Zverev matches, having gone back. Watch the highlights from them now. We got a jam-packed show, as this was the day this Australian Open became the Australian Open became the first major event of the year, right? It felt like this was the day that had, I'm going to use this word again, the gravitas, the, as I like to say in my culture, chutzpah uh, to really entice not just tennis fans, but perhaps even sporting fans more broadly, particularly here in the United States. You wake up, you see Daniil Medvedev is still playing in Australia. What time is it there? Thrilling finish to day five that matched the vibes, dare I say, of the entirety of the day's event. So we'll get into all of that. A thank you to all of you listeners, viewers who are tuning in, whether it be on the podcast platform or our YouTube channel. It's why we do this day in, day out. It's because we want to keep you the most educated, best informed fans in the business. And we appreciate you trusting us to do that. So we'll continue to have content for you, even as our broadcast schedule picks up here in 2024. Also, of course, if you're looking for daily previews, the Great Shot podcast feed is the place for you. We won't have those as videos, but we will have those previews up and through the quarterfinal round of this event. So if you want to look at every day's schedule, you want my thoughts on the matches, you won't want to miss the ones you're going to have to go back, check the highlights from, etc. Check out those Great Shot Podcast episodes each and every day, wherever it is you listen to your podcasts on the Great Shot Podcast feed. Uh, last but certainly not least, a thank you to our, the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point for the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices. There's only one location to turn to, tennis-point.com. Make sure you use, use our promo code CR15 for all of your purchases. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point, symbol, not the, sp- uh, symbol, not the spelling tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's talk headlines from day number five of this 2024 Australian Open. Again, what was a thrilling day of tennis from start to finish? Let's start at the end of it. We're all going to remember when we look at this back at this day, the fact that Daniil Medvedev was playing tennis past 3 a.m. I think it was an official 3.34 a.m. finish for Daniil Medvedev, slightly earlier than last year's finish between Andy Murray, Tanasi Kokonakis, but in the running for latest finish in Australian Open history. And why did this match ultimately go three uh, go past 3 a.m.? Well, it's because Daniil Medvedev was down two sets to love. Emil Roussevori came out so disciplined so assertive in employing 
a clear-cut game plan, which was, look, I'm going to take advantage of the space you give me, Daniil, and I'm not going to rush any attempt from the baseline. If you want to make it a 10-15 shot rally until ultimately you get a little undisciplined, Daniil, you leave something short for me, Emil Rusevori, in this instance, to step inside the baseline and his ability to open up a inside-in forehand from the ad side with his inside-out, inside-out, inside-in combination. It's an elite combination. I have made this comparison for Emil Rusevori before, so I apologize for repeating it to longtime listeners. I think Coke is to Diet Coke as Yannick Sinner is to Emil Rusevori. His weapon, particularly on the forehand wing, is that caliber of exceptional. And his ability, whenever Medvedev, who, you know, again, with his extreme forehand grip, when he tries to pull a ball across court, that ball will sit up, pop up shoulder height for Rusevori. His ability to drive through that ball, bunt down on that ball, redirect that ball down the line, it's why he was able to be the aggressor in the biggest moments through the first two sets because Daniil Medvedev could put up a wall and say, you know, again, uh, try and hit through me or try and get around me, do whatever it is you want to do. And Amir Rusevori said, okay, let me get my ladder on this point. I'm going to climb over you on this one. Or actually, I'm just going to go the long route, and I'm just going to wait patiently until you get uncomfortable, and then I'm going to snap through my forehand or until you make a mistake in the course of a rally. Rusevori was immensely disciplined, and you look for him throughout the course of this match. Yes, 50 winners ultimately against 74 unforced errors. Those first two sets in particular, he made just, I I mean, again, 34 of those 74 unforced errors, 23 in the second set against 15 winners, but... That's a pretty good ratio when you're playing someone, again, as physical or as, again, someone who stresses rally tolerance so significantly as a part of his attacking game style as a Daniil Medvedev. And look, Medvedev was relentless. Medvedev was moving well. I thought he was serving pretty well. Uh... Throughout the course of this match, although set number two in particular, I think his first serve went off a cliff, and the stats seemed to indicate that was the case, 49% uh, overall in that second set. But again, like it was a credit to Emil Rusevori, who whenever he got a look at a second serve, depth into the Daniil Medvedev body, or if he got a look at an outside forehand, take that forehand down the line, snap it cross. He changed out his spot so well. Like Med- uh, Rusevori was so disciplined and, in dis- and, again, so patient in displaying his elite weaponry. And then when that opportunity came, he snapped on it. He took it, uh, obviously, again, able to have some success, certainly beating Medvedev to the spot in those first two sets. And look, I mean, again, it's a credit to Daniil Medvedev that he didn't completely quit, completely fold, say, you know what, it's it's after 1 a.m. I'm down two sets to love. You look for Medvedev in his career coming into this match. He was 4-9 uh, and nine in deciding sets overall in his career, 2-15 and 15 when he had gone down two sets to love, his last victory coming down two sets to love in Australia back in the 2022 quarterfinal against Felix Ogier Aliassime. Again, he was 2-15. and 15. In this scenario, down two sets to love, and this scenario was happening happening at 1 a.m. on a Thursday night for Daniil Medvedev, and yet somehow he just, or on a Friday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, whatever you want to say, and yet some freaking how Medvedev finds a way to grind his way back. It's an early break, never lets it go to take that third set 6-4. Fourth set was a grind, and Medvedev gets up an early break. You think, okay, he's got it, right? Rusevori's going to go away physically. It was a great first two hours, but he's not going to be able to sustain this for hour three. He's not going to be able to sustain this as we approach hour four. 
That was not the case, at least through that third, third and a half hour of play as Rusev already broke back 4-4 all. He manages to hold 4-5-4, Medvedev throwing his racket in disgust, and you think to yourself, oh my God, is Rusev already going to get this? Has Medvedev given all he can give, and now he's going to crack, and this is Rusev moment to swing freely? Nope. Daniil Medvedev steps right back up to the line, and you look for Daniil Medvedev, despite making just 59% of his first serves in this match, he hit 23 aces in this match. I mean, that's a pretty good number for the six foot six Russian, obviously, you know, the fact that of those 23 aces, only three of them came in a six-love fifth set where it was just clear Rusevori did not have any gas left in the tank, had no juice moving in and out of the outer thirds. Medvedev was just getting him stretched in ways that that Medvedev pace had previously not been hurting Rusevori, at least consistently through the first three and a half, four sets. It's a credit to Daniil Medvedev and a firm reminder just how fit uh, the 27-year-old is, even when the tennis isn't its prettiest best of five on this surface when he moves so well and will just make the match a track meet, if nothing else, and then throw 23 aces at you as well. What a grind for Daniil Medvedev. Again, now 3-15 and 15 when trailing two sets to love at the majors. Had lost his last five consecutively uh, in those scenarios. He's now also 5-9 and nine overall in deciding sets at majors. He lost the first six deciding sets of his career. Uh, has now won two in a row with his fifth set win over Eubanks at Wimbledon. Now this five-set win over Rusevori. And more than anything else, you look for Daniil Medvedev currently sitting at number three in the world. Let's remember. Last season, January was not a success for Daniil Medvedev. He got knocked out, I think, fourth round against—no, no, no, excuse me, third round against Sebastian Korda of this event, uh, at this event last season. Now, what did he do after that? He goes on this undefeated run in the Middle East. He has a massive sunshine swing, massive Indian Wells, massive Miami. And then, you know, he wins a 1,000-level event on clay last year as well. And so there are significant chunks of points coming up for Daniil Medvedev to defend. Where does he have opportunities for just clear-cut gain? It's this Australian Open where he lost third round of this event last season. He was in jeopardy of losing earlier than that here this year. And in jeopardy of another disappointing January. And this is a guy who's made a final of the Australian Open in the past. A guy who has unequivocally earned the right to be a top-tier contender at any hard-court event he has entered in. Except for maybe Indian Wells, but he would argue it's not a hard-court event. He grinds his way through it. Finds a way. That's what Daniil Medvedev and the best players in the world do. They find a way to win. Now, again, for three, three and a half hours, Emil Rusevori was playing top 20, top 15 discipline levels of tennis. The way he can turn into his forehand, I've always said that can be a significant weapon against anyone. He has clearly gotten more fluid as a mover, even if that fluidity kind of abandoned him when he lost steam in set number five. But... Again, he withstood the barrage of consistency Medvedev threw at him, stayed pretty consistent on his serve as well. You look for Daniil Medvedev throughout the course uh, of this match. Medvedev ultimately on break points, 8 of 16, but you know three of those eight breaks coming in that final set, 6-love. And I think he only had three break points in that, so he was 5 of 13 otherwise. Rusevor, to his credit, had 18 break point chances, was only able to convert five of them. This was a fantastic match, albeit a loss for Rusevori, but just a stark reminder. What was it? 
last year, two years ago, or did he play? It was either Tsitsipas, Rublev, or FAA who he pushed to five sets in round number one and wasn't able to get through that one either. But again, on a hard court, the 24-year-old from Finland uh, plays top 35 level tennis when he is healthy and at his best at the very least. And shout out to John Wertheim. This was a funny joke. Uh, He talked about the late finish. That's now his nationality after a result like that. That was pretty funny. I giggled. Look again, Emil Rusevori, we've seen that archetype before. Big serve, can dictate with the forehand, pretty smooth changing direction off both wings, good, not great mover. We've seen that archetype. That player has a spot in the top 25. What makes the deal Medvedev so consistently special is you just don't see anyone quite like him. Obviously, the octopus nickname and allusion, uh, uh, alluding to the long levers his arms, his legs possess, and that ability to extend rallies with those levers. Again, such a good mover for a guy that side. So fluid, such a powerful first step in moving into the court as well. Sneaky powerful. Like you forget how low, flat, drivey that backhand stays on you. And that's what made that Rusevori performance so impressive is that he stayed disciplined enough to have success against that relentlessness of the Daniil Medvedev ball. And remember, it's it's so low, it's so steady on the backhand wing, and then it's this Yankee forehand with all sorts of action coming your way. Of course, then he'll pancake flatten one out down the line. Of course, on top of that, he's six foot six and can throw 130 bombs at you off the serve. So again, he... I'm not going to quite say one of one because there are some similarities between he and Zverev. Not many, but some. Um, But uh, just, uh, again, what a win. What a night, Cap. I think the match ended like 11.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m.-ish, something like that. uh, Roughly, again, it ended after 10 a.m. Eastern time and after after 3 a.m. Australian time. It was a headline. It, It kind of, again was the perfect feather in the cap of what was a day of madness at the 2024 Australian Open. And of course, that madness is uh, perhaps best epitomized by the fact that we lost two top five seeds in the women's draw yesterday. Two top five seeds. And keep in mind, we've lost 20 of 32 seeds overall through the first two rounds of play in the women's singles draw. Just 12 seeds remaining as we approach round number three. Not the second week, not the round of 16, no. 12 seeds remaining as 32 players still remain in this draw. Obviously, the biggest shocker, yes, the Pagula loss, the fashion in which she lost was perhaps more pronounced, but 22-20 in a third set breaker. Elena Rabakina ultimately falling to 25-year-old Anna Blinkova. And the most memorable of the six match points for Elena Rabakina to me will be the point she had at 18-17. It was a match point that she had on serve. I believe she had a couple on serve. I don't remember if it was two or three. Blame the lack of sleep again. How could you not be sleeping late in my position? Uh, Lacking sleep in my position given how exciting this tennis is. The privilege to cover it. I'm going to stay up late, get up early, try to watch it all so I can talk about it for you listeners. Um... 18-17, Rabakina hits a quality serve. She has Blinkova on a string and hit two particular forehands that had Blinkova stretched not just at the alley, but stretched outside the alley on that due side of the court. And I really do wonder if Rabakina had chosen to move forward behind either of those forehands. I think Blinkova might have obviously changed her shot selection tried to beat you to the spot, but make her take an aggressive swing in that moment. Make her come up with something elite, exceptional from a defensive position. You know, instead, again, Rabakina, 
elects not to move forward. Eventually, Blinkova on an on-the-run backhand able to generate enough depth that it caught Rabakina kind of in no man's land. She was kind of hinting forward, but wasn't making the committed full move forward on this 18-17 point. Ultimately, she likes to hit this little half-volley backhand drop shot-esque shot that Blinkova tracks down. Really nice on-the-run cross-court flick of the wrist from Blinkova. That, to Rabakina's credit, she got a racket on. She got a forehand volley on, and it was the most difficult to forehand volley. She almost made it. That volley into the net. It's now 18-all. I think the 19-18 match point she had, she sailed a pretty routine forehand as well, but the 18-17 point was on her serve, and she had definitive forehands to move in behind or try to end things with, and again, got a little bit tentative in that moment. The 25-year-old Blinkova, I mean, much like we saw earlier in the day with Lucas Klein and Max Purcell and their pursuit of upsets. She just was so willing to swing freely in this match. And you look for Anna Blinkova, you know, 28 winners against 48 unforced errors. But that's indicative of the fact that when she saw ball, she hit ball big, took her cuts, understood, hey, I'm, I either go down swinging or I go down in this match. And then when things tightened up in the third, she was willing to grind a little bit more. Obviously, she tightened up herself. She served for this match. I believe up 6-5 had two or three, I think it was three match points in that 6-5, I believe it was the service game. Um, ultimately, Rabakina able to, again, force a deciding breaker. And at that point, again, you thought Rabakina had it. Certainly, going into that 18-17 point, Rabakina with a match point on serve. You just thought, okay, this is the moment. She's yanking her around the court. This is the moment where Blinkova, I apologize for the pun, Blinkova blinks. 25-year-old never did, and it's by far the biggest victory of her career, her third against a top-10 opponent. She beat Caroline Garcia in the round of 64 at Roland Garros last year, went over Benchich and Shenzhen back in 2020. You look for Blinkova, she is into the third round of a major for the fourth time in her career, but here's the big number. Blinkova into the third round of a major for the third time time in the last four majors. She did it at Roland Garros. She did it at Wimbledon. Now she does it here at the Australian Open as well. Her, we'll have her easiest opponent to date. It, of those four round of three matches, she's faced Sabalenka, Svitolina, and Madison Keys. I think you'd take Jasmine Paolini as a third round opponent over any of those names. Blinkova was brave. She was bold. She was willing to go down swinging. There was another point I forget if Blink. I think Blinkova, she was either down match point or it was 20-all. I think this was the 20-all point or it was a match point Rabakina. Either way, no, because I think it was on the ad side. So I'm going to say it was a match point Rabakina. I'm not sure. But Blinkova moves forward behind a good serve, a good plus one ball. Rabakina skies up a lob. Blinkova hits a decisive overhead put away to win the point. To do that when it is past 18-all in a third set deciding tiebreak against last year's Australian Open finalist and the number three overall seed, it just speaks to, again, the brave, bold, swing freely, play on your own terms and go down at least with a smile on your face nature, that blink of that ethos that she brought to the court yesterday. Again, what a signature victory for the 25-year-old, her third in her career against a top 10 opponent with a win. She's back into the top 50, up to number 48 in the live rankings as a result. Obviously, on the flip side for Rabakina, look, it's tough because she beat Sabalenka so definitively in that Brisbane final match in week number one. And to show that level against Sabalenka 
and not walk away with at least a semifinal appearance at the Australian Open before maybe a loss to Iga. Like, you could live with a loss to Iga in the semifinals, even if she didn't ultimately make the finals and win the title here in Melbourne. To lose to a player ranked outside the top 50 when you had six match points and a couple of those match points you really like back because you certainly gave some loose errors to Blinkova. I mentioned this earlier, by the way, on match point. Rybakina had a routine backhand approach shot that she got tight while hitting. That's going to happen at that stage in that moment of a match. I have made that exact same error in my life where you get a little handsy, your racket speed slows down, and you don't accelerate through the shot. And when you don't accelerate again, that's why that ball is going to drift long or wide on you as it did for Rabakina. It's a crushing loss, just again, given the level she displayed in week number one of this season. If she had captured that Sabalenka level, the ma- the level she played in that Sabalenka match in a bottle, and managed to drink from that bottle all tournament long, she probably is winning this event. That is how good she looked in that six th- uh, love 6-3 victory over Sabalenka. It was untouchable uh, power tennis, but uh, obviously, again, for Sabalenka, bitter disappointment for her to drop this match. Uh, obviously, she's going to fall to number five in the world following this result. Even with Pagula's loss, Pagula's still going to jump her, be at that number four spot. Coco Goff now sitting at the number three spot. I mean, again, long-term, three, five, doesn't really matter. Rabakina gets to do whatever she wants from a scheduling perspective still. Plenty of points uh, for to, for her to keep her ranking suspended in this first third of the season in the top ten. Uh Obviously, the big Indian Wells title defense coming up as well. That was just, again, she had her chances. She had her moments. Blinkova played inspiring tennis. I don't want to take anything away from her. That's going to be a tough one for Elena Rabakina to swallow. Just didn't quite have enough, particularly, again, having those momentum, fighting off the match points, heading into that third set breaker. You thought it would be hers. I think she was down 9-7, though, in that third set breaker, to her credit, to extend things to 10-all. Again, this match was funky. Like, it had it all. 22-20. It's why Medvedev was playing till 3.30 a.m. It's what will make day five such a memorable day as we look back at this Australian Open the day. This major became a major event, certainly. Again, Elena Rabakina was my third uh, highest contender. I had four players in Tier 1. Sviantek, then Sabalenka, then Rabakina, then Coco Goff uh, as my tier one contenders in the women's singles draw. Obviously, we've seen 20 upsets of the 32 seeds, but Rabakina was the first tier one player I've seen knocked off my list. I also had my first tier two player knocked off the list. I'm, I still have six of my top eight as we approach the round of 32. I feel pretty good about that big picture, but you know, we lost a tier two player in Jessica Pagula, the fifth seed, knocked out in straight sets, 6-4, 6-2. And what was most notable about the Pagula loss, it was the fact that she was up one love breaks to start each of these sets and saw the sets get away from her so quickly from there. And the number 31 unforced errors to Burel's 26, that's the number that I suppose would stand out looking at the stat sheet. That's not the number that stands out to me. The number that stands out to me, Jessica Pagula, an aggressive baseliner who uses her speed so well to beat you to the spot, change direction down the line, move forward, hit the swinging volley, hit the put-away volley, hit the overhead again, use her athleticism to be aggressive with her court positioning. That Jessica Pagula, the number five player in the world who hasn't taken a bad loss in about two years, 
She hit nine winners in yesterday's match against Clara Burrell. And look, I've long been a fan of the 22-year-old from France who, by the way, with this win up to a new career high, 49 in the live rankings. Burrell moves well. It's funny. Her technique is Pliskova-esque, and she's tall, skinny, but far more fluid for, as a mover than Pliskova. Not nearly as powerful. I want to be clear there as well. Burrell's pretty good at everything. Not great at anything. Pretty good at everything. So, of course, Pagula was always going to be tested in this match, but just nine winners. By the end of that second set, you could tell Pagula was ready to pack the bag, start the plane, and head home. Just the, the peak level wasn't there for her. It hasn't been here for her all month. I know Pagula was able to get a couple of victories last week in Adelaide, beat a Pavlachenkova from a set down in three, beat a Bernarda Pera from a set down in three, got the win over Tom Janovic in United Cup as well, but... In all of the five matches she had played uh, throughout the course of the build-up to this Australian Open, I'm going to exclude the Rebecca Marino match where she actually looked like herself in round of the, one of this event. That's what was so encouraging. In the six other events, uh, uh, matches she's played here this first month of the season, the pace just isn't there on the ground strokes right now. The pace isn't there on the serve either. Pagula winning just 60% of her first serve points. She made just 52% of her first serves uh, in this loss to Burrell, faced 10 different break points. And so far, again, she's played, what, seven, uh, six matches so far this season. If you include the, if you don't include the withdrawal in those six matches, she's faced 23 plus 26 is 49 plus 13, 62 break points. Jessica Pagula has faced 62 break points through six matches. She's holding serve just 69.3% of the time. The average top 50 player holding serve 70.1% of the time. That is not good by Jessica Pagula standards. Uh, again, Pagula has been over 70% each of the last three seasons. And, you know, again, whether it's just straight up first serve percentage struggles, you can tell that's kind of seeping into. She doesn't feel as confident swinging freely into the plus one because the opportunities aren't as apparent and thus every point a little bit more of a struggle in her service games. I mean, again, it's just it's. Clara Burrell was able to play her even for the baseline. It felt like Burrell was the one more frequently redirecting things down the line or taking a big cut through the court. Again, Burrell, 17 winners against Pagula's 9, 26 unforced errors to Pagula's 31. Pagula winning just 13 of 32 second serve points in this match. And by the way, she had to play 32 second uh, points on her second serve compared with only 35 on her first serve. She was just always on her back foot. Again, Here's the thing, and I want to keep this in mind big picture. Here's the positive spin. Do you remember Daniil Medvedev's month of January last year? We were all hitting the panic button. Is it the run for Medvedev over? He had a really rough ending to 2022. That carried over to the immediate start of 2023, and we were all wondering, you know, he fell out of the top 10, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. Is this Medvedev window closed? And then he rips off an undefeated streak in February, and then again he goes on the sunshine swing and ends the season at the U.S. Open final, and a clear-cut top-five player in the world. Jessica Pagula had one bad month. It's her first bad month in about 30 months. She gets a mulligan on this opening month of the season. It is worth noting the trend of her being pushed on her back foot. She's got to refine the weapons, get a little bit more comfortable swinging freely. There's no doubt about that. And if the underlying consistency isn't there, I mean, that is the thing that 
propels Jessica Pagula forward against so many different opponents is not only does she hit the bar ball harder than you, she hits the ball harder than you, and she makes it more consistently than you do. That gear just hasn't been there for her this first month of the season. And again, the standards we're holding to her to aren't top 50 player. If you're a top 50 player, a loss to Clara Burel at this point of the 22-year-old Frenchman's career, nothing to bat an eye at. When you are a top five player, like Pagula has been the last two-plus years, the standards are different for you. And obviously for Pagula, she's always had the slam cloud hanging over her head as well. This is another disappointing result from her, excuse me, from uh, in that respect. And you look at this round of 32, I believe 12 of the 32 women alive still in this round of 32, age 22 or younger. Obviously, Sviantek, Goff, they're only getting better. Chin Wen, clearly she's getting better. She's into the third round here of this event. You've got the Naskovas, the Andrivas, the Fruvertovas, the Kornievas, all the young Russians in the world. There's this, you know, Kostyuk, she's 21 years old. Like, there, you know, Anissa Mova's 22. She's into another third round. If she gets healthy, she's got to be in this conversation. I'm not saying Pagula's window to be a top eight, top 10 player is closed. But for her, the only thing left to do is win a major. She's won just about everything else and competed with the best in the world now for two and a half consecutive seasons. The last hurdle for her to climb to the top of is a Grand Slam title. And just getting how competitive and how talented, how good and young this field is, I, that's the only panic button you're hitting is that 30,000-foot view of can she win a slam because, again, her ceiling compared to the ceiling moving forward of some of these continuing to improve players, you just wonder if Pagula can continue to raise her ceiling as well. The thing that has always been her calling card is, again, the delta between ceiling and floor has always been so narrow, and her floor is so high, match in, match out, or at least has been over the last two and a half years. We saw the the floor fall out from underneath her in this match. Again, this was one of the poorer performances I have seen from Jessica Pagula in the past two and a half years. Of one I'm sure she will want to forget. For Clara Burrell, not only does she reach round three of a major for the fourth time in her career, first time she's done it in Australia, she reaches round three of a major in, and earns her first top 20, her first top 10 victory of her career as well. And it's funny, she's now one in five against the top 20. She's also 1-5 against the top 10. Every top 20 opponent she's faced in her career has also been a top 10 opponent. She's faced top 10 opponents five different times now at the majors. Losses twice to Sabalenka, once to Sakari, once to Muguruza prior to this win for Jessica Pagula. And again, it's a signature victory for the 22-year-old. There, I say the first of her career. This is a former top five junior in the world, someone who's really well-rounded. Again, moves well. Pretty springy off of both wings. Not elite at anything, but pretty solid everywhere. Going to be a tough out moving forward. I see top 50, certainly, uh, as her live ranking now indicates. I don't know if I see top 20 yet, top 15, if the weapons or even the totality of pretty goodness is enough to put her in that category with how many talented young players there are who you see flashes of greatness from. But Clara Burrell is going to be around for the remainder of this decade and going to be in much more than four third rounds at the majors moving forward. Perhaps most encouragingly, if you're Burrell, you've now made third rounds at back-to-back -back majors. Did it at the U.S. Open to end last season. Now does it here in Australia. Clara Burrell providing our second headline upset of the day. Again, knocking out fifth-seeded Jessica Pagula, 6-4, uh, 6-2. The Rabakina-Pagula section of the draw now wide open. And I want to be clear, the favorite to make the semifinal now unequivocally is Jung Chin Wen, the 
21-year-old, 22-year-old. I keep screwing this up. It's 21-year-old. The 21-year-old from China, currently sitting at 14 in the world in the live rankings, she is a 54.1% favorite, according to Tennis Abstracts. So more than half the times you play out this uh, uh, these third and fourth rounds moving forward, you will see Chin Wen reach the quarterfinals. And if it's a Chin Wen Sviantec quarterfinal, whenever those two play, it's always a fun match. Even Sviantec's uh, Shviantex, excuse me, straight set victory over Chin Wen at United Cup was more competitive than that scoreline indicated. It's a massive moment, a massive opportunity for the 21-year-old to consolidate on her momentum. Again, she is the highest-ranked, highest-seeded player remaining, and the only other seed in her section is 26th-seeded Jasmine Paolini. When you lose Rabakina, when you lose Pagula in the same day, things open up. Again, the list of players still alive, Blinkova, Paulini, Kalinskaya, Stevens, Chinwen, Wang Yafan, Osien Dodan, and Clara Burrell. Again, Kalinskaya is playing really good ball, but if you're Chinwen or if you are Sloan Stevens, and honestly, Paulini belongs on that list as well. Like, talk about an opportunity to get your 2024 season going. So again... That section of the draw, the Rabakina quarter, now swung wide open after we get two headline upsets. Elena Rabakina, Jessica Pagula, both eliminated on day number five. Only three seeds eliminated overall on the day on the women's side. Now, obviously, it felt pretty dramatic uh, given the fact that two of them were top five seeds. I want to get into the Sloan Stevens side of things uh, in a little bit. Let's shift gears, though, and talk about the men's side of things now, because the men's seeds just continue to find ways to survive. And yes, we had four seeds upset on day five, so some of you may be laughing and saying, wait a second, Alex, four seeds lost on this day, and you're talking about the steadiness of the top men? Well, let's be clear. Through five days of play, uh, men's single seeds are 14-3 and three overall in five set matches. Now, I know what you're going to say. Alex, they are the better players. Shouldn't the better player win out over the longest, uh, longer the match goes? Isn't that the whole point of best of five is you have to reach this insane level of physicality to sustain this ridiculous level of tennis, and that requires greatness, and that's why the best often emerge as the best at these major events. Of course, you have a lot of credibility to that argument, but... Have you heard the five-set records? Daniil Medvedev now five and nine in three-set uh, uh, in five-set matches. Excuse me, Sasha Zverev twenty and eleven now, but like that's more beatable than him in other scenarios than that. And again, I'm not going to give you the Djokovic or Nadal Federer numbers because those are all laughable. But most people play about five hundred ball in five-set matches, and that guy's like Zverev, Rude. Medvedev pulled through in five sets, obviously from an entertainment standpoint to have the best players in the world still alive as we move to the business end of this major. It's massive for tennis fans. It's massive for the sport in order to try and gain interest, particularly, again, if you are based here in the States when the hours are funky and otherwise perhaps wouldn't be incentivized to follow this major in particular. But it's not just those guys. Again, we saw Fritz earn a five-set win in round number one. We saw Rublev earn a five-set win in round number one. Now you can add three other guys to, uh, excuse me, two other guys to the list of players we've mentioned already. Hubi Hercot surviving the test against the young, talented 18-year-old Jakob Menchik. And look, I've said it before. I'll say it again here. 
The weapons of Jakub Menchik, they're just real. He hit 57 winners in this match against Hubie Hercots. 19 aces against just 62 unforced errors. That degree of aggression against a top 10 player in his first crack at it. Gumption. Like that is just a willingness, again, getting back to this theme of Blinkova, of Purcell, of Lucas Klein. If you're playing a top 10 player, What's the point of going down anything other than swinging? You're going to lose to them if you just try to keep things ordinary. You have to try to pull off the extraordinary. You have to try and disrupt these top 10 players' comfort zone. You have to try to do something to make the match on your terms. And always, in every match that he plays, Jakob Menship serve his first forehand, his confidence and willingness to move forward, they will keep him in every match that he plays. And that's what kept him alive in this match. Jakob Menchik, 60% first serve percentage. He won 75% of those points. 19 aces. Menchik, 25 of 35 at the net in this match. Here's the problem. And this is what I said coming into the match if you listen to our Great Shot podcast preview. When Menchik gets his hands on the ball, special things happen. He is has possesses elite power. He can generate that power from any position on the court, even if it's stretched deep in the outer third, if his feet are there and he can make solid contact with the ball. He is not comfortable when he is pushed into the outer thirds. I suppose no player sans maybe Djokovic is that comfortable in the outer thirds, but Menchik is not as quick as he will be two, three years from now. I don't think he's slow. I want to make that abundantly clear. I don't think he is slow-footed. I just think he is young. And he has had these weapons his entire life. He has always been on his front foot. He is not accustomed to facing competition who can match or even at times exceed his firepower. And thus, there were moments when he passed pretty well in this match against Hubie Hercots. Had a few on-the-run brilliant moments, particularly in that third set. But... That's where the majority of his errors come. When Hubie got him stretched in those outer thirds and Menchik, outside of his comfort zone, tried to make a little more than what was necessary in that moment happened. And again, those are the right sort of errors for an 18-year-old to be making. I have no problem with him going down swinging. I have no problem with... If if you're saying about an 18-year-old he needs to get a a little stronger, a little fitter, a little faster... It means you don't have concerns about his tennis. And I actually do think his backhand held up way better than I thought it would, uh, staring down the barrel of the pace of the Hoopy Hercots serve, uh, of the Hoopy Hercots flatness and drive on his backhand, on his down-the-line forehand. And Hoopy, by the way, 48 winners against 34 unforced errors in this match, 19 aces, won 74 of 90 first serve points and won over 70% of his serve points overall in this match. He, I believe Hoopy Hercots was broken just, no, just twice in this one, was broken. Broken twice, Menchik two of three on breakpoint chances compared to Hubi seven of 21. And this gets back to the big thing. Yes, Menchik was up two sets to one in this match. No, I was never concerned that Hubi was going to lose it because physically, Menchik's not just not there yet to play top 10 tennis for three and a half hours. He can play top 50 tennis for two hours. He can play top 25 tennis even for 30, 45 minute stretches. Like the weapons are real. The the willingness and ability to assert himself on his front foot with his serve, with his first forehand, how his body weight and his momentum is always moving into the court. That ability to be the aggressor, so essential at the highest levels of men's tennis. Again, he reminds me of a young Tsitsipas, of a young sinner in that it's clear he is not the mover he will be two to three years from now, but structurally, I think he'll be fine. If at the very worst, a, a fine 
maybe even a good mover at the tour once as he continues to grow into his body. Again, the technique I don't love on the backhand. I still think on the forehand side also he can get a little slap happy when pushed in the outer thirds. But the underlying skill set, I mean, this is a guy who is going to be in our lives as a top 100, top 50 player, when, not if, for 18-year-old Jakob Menchik. Really impressive performance. More impressive, again, Hubi Hercots now into the seventh career third round at a major for a 26-year-old who has won two Masters 1000 events and has been ranked top 10 in the world multiple seasons he should be ranked uh, he should make more than seven third rounds at majors in his career and you look for hoopy overall in his career he has played the first round of major events 23 different times yeah he should have more than seven third rounds in 23 different first round appearances at the majors that said again great start to his 2023 uh, uh four excuse me campaign and again his success came later in the year with this run he jumps a couple of guys he's currently sitting at eight in the live rankings Casper Rude back up to nine who dropped for him to get there uh he let's see Runa seven Hercots eight Rude nine oh Stefano Tsitsipas obviously dropped three spots with last year's final run coming off of his rankings resume still again add Hercots to the list another player and Tsitsipas has survived a couple of tough four setters Djokovic Alcaraz surviving four setters as well Hercots another top seed to get tested but ultimately survive he is now 11 and 8 in his career in deciding sets at the major has won six of his last eight deciding sets as well so starting to find a little bit of five set rhythm the other guy uh, able to survive in five sets as a seed how about Cam freaking Nori Able to overcome a two-sets-to-love deficit to earn a five-set victory over the talented uh, Italian, uh, excuse me, Giulio Zeppieri, uh, 3-6-6-7-6-2-6-4-6-4, Nori able to prevail. Even with a little bit of knee pain and a little bit of a medical timeout hampering Nori, I believe, in the middle of that third set, man, Nori is just a nightmare physically still, and... Again, you may have an elite weapon that's bigger than anything he brings into the court, but if you can't execute that weapon with consistency, with relentless physicality, he's going to get you. Cam Norrie ultimately able to grind his way. Kind of needed this third round to get his season going. Cam Norrie right now sitting at 22 in the live rankings and has a 500-level title coming off of his uh, resume from February of last year when he won on the clay courts. Was it Rio? I forget which event he won, but again, some serious success last year for Nori making a couple of finals, and I think he went final title in his South American clay court stretch, so big for him to get a third-round result at a major under his belt to start this season. Next up for Cam Nori uh, will be a date with 11th-seeded Casper Root. so at least his opponent is also coming off of a five-set thriller, but ain't going to get any easier uh, for the Brit moving forward. Good win for the 28-year-old here to advance to round number three. The other side of things on the men's side, because we did have a couple of other good matches, I do want to point out that while those seeds survived, and by the way, Alcaraz, Dimitrov, uh, each earning four set victories on the day. Well, actually, you know what? We'll get to that in, in a little bit. Westoff, leave all of this in. That happens from time to time. Let me get to my next headline, and then we'll get to the other things I that we might have missed. Let's stay glass half uh, glass half full, excuse me, and stay positive for one more headline. I talked about Pagula having a rough January. You know three players who have had exceptional Januaries, Alina Svitolina, 
Linda Nascova, and Emma Navarro. Let's start just quickly here with Alina Svitolina. Racks up another straight set victory, one in three over Victoria Tomova. Svitolina has been untested through her first two matches of play. Straight sets over Preston and Tomova. She's lost just eight total games. Yes, she's been broken twice in both matches, but never had significant deficits on the scoreboard. Swinging so freely, moving so well right now. Again, she has been back on tour for less than a year. She is as fit as she was when she left the game on maternity leave. And I would argue, I really do think her forehand has a little bit more pace now than it did then. And so, I mean, again, Svitolina, another recipient of things opening. Well, that's not true. Uh, they opened up in, in her draw in the sense that she faces Victoria Golubic in round number three. It's still a potential Sviantec battle in round number four. But man, this Sviantec draw, I mean, Kennan, Collins, now big-hitting Linda Naskova, who, again, Linda Naskova, three-set victory over McCartney Kessler. That's the nerd-out match you don't think you should go watch the three-minute highlight package from, but you absolutely should because Kessler's a real athlete, the former University of Florida All-American. She's got real weapons. When she won that second set 6-1, I thought to myself, oh, my God, she might get through Naskova. Like, she is quick. It feels like the better the opponent, the better the tennis out of Naskova, uh, out of Kessler. And yet, again, Naskova's easy power, the the fact that her playbook was so simple to get into, it prevailed. And now, again, you're looking at a couple of players for Linda Naskova, semifinal in Adelaide to start her season. Now, third round appearance for the first time here in Australia. For Svitolina, finals in Auckland to start her year. Now, a third round here in Australia, which she picks up as free points on her resume, as obviously she wasn't playing this time last year. She's up three spots back into the top 20, currently sitting at number 20 uh, in the live rankings. Can leap over Garcia with another victory and make a top 15 push if she can somehow get through that Sviantec round four test. And certainly with Iga's knee being a little bit banged up, you feel like her chances are a little bit at least more likely than they were to start the event. Again, Linda Naskova, massive three-set victory for her. And uh, for Naskova, I believe she now consolidates her spot in the top 50. Yeah, the 19-year-old's up to number 38 in the live rankings. That's where she belongs. Like, she is that good. And by the way, 33 is Layla Fernandez, 34 is Marta Kostiuk, 38 Linda Naskova, uh, 36 Mira Andreeva, 38 Linda Naskova. Th uh, four players there, all 21 and under, who will all be competing, uh, competing in later rounds of slams throughout the course of their career. Massive moment for Nuskova to get over this threshold, get to the third round of a major. Uh, a massive moment, obviously, as well uh, for uh, Alina Svitolina to re-cement her place at the top of the rankings. And then, last but certainly not least, shout out to Emma Navarro. Grinds her way to another three-set victory. Navarro able to earn a... 4-6-6-3-6-3. Come from behind win over Elisabetta Cochiretto. You look uh, for Emma Navarro now, which she's been able to do in this opening month of the season. Semi-final in Auckland for her to kick off her year. Obviously, after that, able to win her first title in Hobart. Now the third round appearance in Australia. She is now 10-1 through 11 matches. 10-1 and one through 11 matches. First third round at a major in her career uh, with, as a result, Navarro up to a new career high as well. Obviously, in the live rankings, the 22-year-old currently sitting at 23 in the live rankings. And again, she's played over 90 matches over the last 52 weeks, a lot of them at the ITF level. This January month alone, semifinals of a 250, title at a 250, third round of a major. 
that's about four months of matches from last season. She no longer has to worry about Emma Navarro continuing her rapid ascent towards the top of the women's game. And by the way, she is the favorite. She's got Diana Yastremska, about as ideal of a third-round matchup as you could ask for if you're trying to make your first second week of a major now. The power tennis player from Ukraine qualifier into this event. She was excellent in both of her first first two matches, including obviously her win over Vondrosova and has more experience against top-level competition than Emma Navarro because she didn't play the college game. She went straight to the pros. These are two players, 22, 23 years old, pretty similar in age despite vastly different career trajectories. Still, if you're Svitolina, Noskova, Navarro, you walk out of this month, again, all three well, Naskova made the final of Adelaide last year, but to defend those points with at least a semifinal run and then to exceed your Australian Open result by making the third round, Svitolina, final third round, Navarro, title, semifinal third round. Three players who are killing the month of January. Three players all alive and outside of Naskova, who obviously now gets the Sviantec buzzsaw, Svitolina and Navarro favored to advance to week number two as well. That's about all they could have asked for to start their 2024 seasons. Last but certainly not least, let's get to the potpourri, as they would say on Jeopardy. The everything else, the anything category, the other things you might have missed, and I will rapid fire through them all here as, again, I try to touch on all 32 um, matches on the day. Your third and final upset on the women's side. How about Sloane Stevens? 4 6, 6 3, 6 3. She was down an early 4 1 deficit in that opening set, slowly but surely found her rhythm. And then again, for the first time in five years, reaches the third round here in Australia with a three set victory over Kasakina. It had been multiple seasons uh, since she'd earned a top 20 hardcourt victory at the majors. And by the way, now with this result, Sloane Stevens up nine spots. She's back up to number 35 in the live rankings. In the mix, that just, you know, again, this is someone who's played 500 balls for three consecutive years has had to sometimes slip into qualifying or certainly hasn't been seated at big events of late. She put herself in a position to be precisely that. Again, was matched the physicality of Kasekin and she just had more juice behind her ground strokes, had more success changing direction than her 14th seated opponent. As anticipated, the Kasekina, 16th of the draw, 8th of the draw, whatever you want to call it, it is wide open. Blinkova, Paulini, Kalinskaya, Stevens. One of those players is getting into the quarterfinals and will have a potential matchup. By the way, Chin Wen, 54.1% favorite to get uh, to the quarterfinal, uh, to the semifinals. I think I said quarterfinals. I meant semifinals for Chin Wen. 54.1% favorite in that quarter to now make the semifinals. Sloan Stevens is not the favorite. It's actually Paulini and Kalinskaya, which makes sense. They've had more tour level success of late, but. Stevens is into the third round of Australian Open for the fifth time, where, by the way, she's taking on a very much in-form Anna Kalinskaya. I've mentioned this before, but the 25-year-old finals of a 125K in Tampico, then a title in Midland back-to-back to end her year last season. She qualifies into Brisbane, gets a win over Bernarda Pera, round one there, qualifies into Adelaide, round one win over Krejcikova coming into this event. Now, straight uh, straight set win over Aranxa Roos to propel her to round three three of this event and with the win Kalinskaya up 14 more spots back up to number 61 in the live rankings she's just really solid everywhere can play line drive power tennis Kudermatova light I suppose that would be my comp for Kalinskaya maybe a little bit more fluid in the outer thirds not quite as powerful but that would be my game style comparison uh, for the 25 year old who again just was able to find the Aranxa Rus 
backhand successfully enough to not allow Roos to be swinging so freely on her forehand wing. Roos was down 4-1 in that second set, managed to make it a fight and extend things to five all, but Kalinskaya break hold to end it. Again, she is through to round number three, continuing her momentum from the end of last season. I mentioned, uh, again, the up uh, the Sloan-Stevens upset the Chin, uh, the excuse me, Kalinskaya victory as well. How about Chin Wen, who made, of course, that Zhuhai final run at the Elite Trophy event at the end of last season, which features the 9 through 16 players ish in the rankings? Chin Wen, straight set victory uh, to advance. She gets a 3 and 3 win over the always testy Katie Bolter. And Katie Bolter was playing well, was holding her ground on the baseline, trying to short hop the heavy topspin balls of Chin Wen, use that topspin to keep her ball within the baseline. Chin Wen too dynamic. She just got Bolter stretched in ways that exposed that Bolter's not the best nor most fluid mover in the corners of the court. She needs to be on that baseline asserting herself, holding her ground. Chin Wen just didn't let her do it. Chin Wen through to the third round again, sitting at 14 right now in the live rankings, the 21-year-old from China. As I have alluded to, given the injury she had early last season, very much poised to make a top 10 push here in the first third of the season. Is now the favorite to make the semifinals in her quarter of the draw. 54.1%. Half the times you play it out from here, we see Chin Wen in the semifinals, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. I've never known Jeff Sackman to code things incorrectly. Uh, again, a shout-out to Chin Wen, straight set winner on the day. And then, again, Paulini straight sets over Tatiana Maria. Just Maria couldn't hurt her. Paulini disciplined the firepower. Excellent. The Italian consolidating the position she earned for herself after a breakout 2023. The 28-year-old Italian currently sitting at 26 career high in the live rankings. And then again, Yastremska, Ossian Doden, your other straight set winners on the day. I do want to talk about the men's side because we did have a few upsets, our most upsets on any given day, I should say. Four of them here on day number five. Starts with Arthur Cazot. He earns the victory of his career. Cazot knocking out eighth-seeded Holgaruna, 7-6-6-4-4-6-6-3. I mean, again, what was going right for Arthur Cazot on this day? How about how well the Frenchman moved? To see Cazot just scoot around the court, the 21-year-old's got serious fluidity. Just that's going to keep him alive in every match that he plays. And again, that fluidity, that springiness, that ability to absorb, redirect pace. He had 51 winners to Runa's 48. 30 unforced errors to Runa's 40. Runa 34 of 53 at the net. And honestly, that's too generous of a number because the biggest difference in this match was Runa felt the need to start pressing. He forced his way into things, forced his way forward prematurely, forced himself into redirecting things down the line when Maybe the space wasn't quite there, given, again, how speedy Arthur Cazot is. Limited breakpoint chances in this match. Runa, one of four on his chances. Cazot, three of eight. Again, the margins in this match, is, uh, in this match were thin. The margins in this match were thin. Uh, Cazot, 18 aces. That was a big difference to Runa's six. Cazot winning 82% of his first serve points. Again, Runa was pressing. And Kazo had answers for it in a way Holger Runas just never seemed willing to find, other than maybe the home stretch of that third set and the passing shot he hits on set point to win that third set. That was certainly special. Apologies, I forgot I had the camera. I got back into podcast mode there. Got to remember to look up. Um, the That was for all of our YouTube viewers. The I'm trying to think of the best way to frame this. Now I've got distracted by the camera. The... 
I mean, again, he pressed. That's just, we can leave it there. Uh, Hogaruna didn't have his best tennis. Am I concerned for him moving forward? No, I thought this was a really good performance for an Arthur Cazot, who obviously, outside the top 100 to start this event, uh, event Cazot with the victory, currently sitting at 101 in the live rankings. That's got to sting. Just for, again, you earn your first top 10 win of your career, as Arthur Cazot does. He's now 3-3 three and three against the top 50 in his career. By the way, this was his first major where he's ever won a match in the main draft. It's only his third main draw appearance, fourth main draw appearance, excuse me, at the majors in his career. For what it's worth, though, he has now made the main draw. Uh, he's played in the main draw of three of the last four majors. Wimbledon, the only exception. Cazot starting to find his rhythm. Again, obviously a really good start uh, to his 2024 season, not just making the third round here in Australia, uh, but for Cazot to also win a challenger that first week of the year as well. Clear this level is here to stay. The Frenchman, something seems to have clicked uh, physically. He pulls off the biggest upset of day number five on the men's side. The only, dare I say, man to actually pull that upset off, not see his lead evaporate into five sets. Because so, four set winner over Holgaruna. Only one straight set match result on all of the 16 singles matches we saw on day five. That belonged to Nuno Borges. Borges straight sets over Davidovich Fokina. It's the biggest win in the former Mississippi State's All-American's career in reaching the third round of this major. He's up to a new career high, 56 in the live rankings. 26-year-old played four years of college tennis. He turned pro 2020. And, you know, again, to see him now inside the top 75 of the live rankings to see guys like him, Yannick Hanfman, and even Cam Norrie, who played three years, right? I know Ben was only there for two, but for some of these guys, it might be a slower burn. You see what that level can do for their development. And for Nuno Borges, the, but the problem for him was never striking the ball. It was the physicality, and that element has slowly but surely developed for him. Again, biggest victory of his career. He knocks out Davidovich Fokina. Really impressive stuff. Straight set win as well. He was down a break in set number one. His kick serve is special. He can slap the forehand anywhere. He's comfortable moving forward. He knows his own limitations. Again, it's the biggest win of Nuno's career. Nuno advancing to round number three where a date with Grigor Dimitrov awaits. Your other upsets on the day. How about the Kessman? How much have I said for Miamir Kessmanovic, who I believe made, what, fourth round quarterfinals the year Djokovic got uh, removed from the draw in 2022? Kessmanovic, maybe his biggest win since in knocking off Jan Leonard Struff in a 10-point uh, tiebreaker, excuse me, to wrap that match. Uh, the biggest thing there for Kasmanovic, he, he had match points that he blew, and then he fights off a couple of match points down 9-7 in that fifth set breaker. I mean, again, for Kasmanovic, talk about the physicality of that final point, a 20-plus shot rally. I don't know what his biggest weapons are, but Kasmanovic is another one of those guys who are good at everything. And look, he's 24 years old. I don't know how much more time there is for him to develop a newfound ceiling, a newfound power tenement tennis element of his game to complement everything else he does do well, but everything else does seem to have a little bit more action behind it, a little bit more pace, a little bit more strength. I think his three-set win at United Cup to end this, uh, Davis Cup, excuse me, to end last year, playing as Djokovic's teammate to try and set Djokovic up against Italy, I think that did wonders for his confidence. You kind of see that here as, again, he he just was bold down the home stretch when he needed to be in the fight, never wary, mentally. 
Gets him back inside the top 50. He's up 14 spots to number 46 and reaching the third round here. And again, no significant weapon, uh, no significant weakness in the Kesmenovich arsenal. It's a, it's a fascinating match between he and Tommy Paul in round number three because, again, two guys who are pretty well-rounded. No clear-cut weapon. Tommy, the more athletic, definitely a little bit more pace on his ball. Can hit the ball bigger, but... Kesman's going to work him if he still has his legs underneath him. So good upset for Kesmanovich. Obviously, disappointing losses for both Davidovich, Fokina, and Struve. Struve had match point. If you're Davidovich, Fokina, you are scratching your head. Just, again, maybe that's going to be the continued tone for Davidovich, Fokina, who, by the way, is also on my make-or-break list. I don't know how much faith I can have. Continue to have in his ceiling moving forward if we just don't—we'll never know what the floor will be week in, week out. And then, last but not least, the most notable upset to me on the day, 19-year-old Alex Mickelson, 4-6-6-3-6-4-6-4. He knocks out Yuri Lechechka. Now, it took about 30, 45 minutes, dare I say, the entirety of that first set, maybe even a little bit more as uh, Mickelson went down a break, I believe, in set number two to Lechechka for Mickelson to become accustomed to the speed of Lechechka's not just serve, but the speed of his plus one shot, the targets he wanted to hit, the heaviness and the depth, the drive behind that Lechechka backhand in particular. Here's the thing. Once Mickelson did find that rhythm, he was the one asserting the terms of play. He is so good on his front foot. The serve is special. He's got one of those shoulders. His momentum is always moving forward in the court. He's always looking for an opportunity to square off a volley, always looking for an opportunity to change direction, make his opponent uncomfortable. If he gets his hands on the ball, again, something special is going to happen. He can just generate that sort of pace. He's got one of those jack sock-like shoulders, even if, again, I'm still not sold on him as a mover yet. The instincts are there so thoroughly. Guy just knows how to win tennis matches. And to see him go from outside the top 500 to flirting with the top 50, Alex Mickelson now 73 in the live rankings, but pretty much no points to defend the next three months, and he's 73 in the rankings. To see that sort of ascent in under a year, special teenagers do that, and that's precisely what's happened for Alex Mickelson. He's into the third round now. He's got his toughest test to date as he will take on sixth-seeded Sasha Zverev again. So far, nine of 32 seeds eliminated on the men's side, only one top 16 seed in Holgaruna. So things pretty steady relatively overall, and that's because, of course, again, all these men keep surviving in five sets. Zverev, Rude, Hercots, Medvedev, Nori, um, the latest on day number five of this event. And then, of course, on the women's side, talked about the Ega match uh, in the emergency podcast. It is worth noting, I forgot Daniel Collins had the opportunity to break Sviantec 4-5-4 in the opening set and perhaps serve for that match. I think she had multiple, uh, for that set, she had multiple break points to do so. I mean, again, just I went back and rewatched that match, and you forget how helpless Sviantec felt, not only because her forehand was betraying her, but because Collins was playing so well through the first two and a half sets of that match, and then it just fell apart for Collins. So, again, credit to Iga for continuing her grind. Credit to Ostapenko. She's now won, I believe, what, seven consecutive matches. Three-set win over Isla Tomjanovic, 6-4 in the third. Uh, you know, again, won the first set, sixth love. Lost to rhythm there to start set number two. Tomjanovic protecting her break of serve early in that set throughout the course of that set. Ostapenko just a little bit too much firepower. And again, she's moving as well as she has ever moved. She is through to round number three. Uh, as is Victoria Azarenka. Needed every bit of her firepower to knock out young, big-hitting 21-year-old Clara Tawson. Azarenka 
6-4-3-6-6-2. She knocks out Tossin. Tossin just not quite fluid, explosive enough, getting to the outer thirds as a mover, nor reactive enough in those outer thirds quite yet. But again, good showing for the day and finally seems to be healthy after that's been her biggest struggle uh, over the course of the past year and a half. And, you know, again, in making the third round, she's back up to 90 in the live rankings as Aranka with this win, back up to number 32 in the live rankings as she is trying to defend quarterfinal spots uh, points here this week. Uh, your other three set winners on the day, shout out Victoria Golubic, 6-3-2-6-6-4. She knocks out a streaky Sinyakova. And then, how about Wang Yafan? This was a really fun physical match, level pretty much the entire way. Wang Yafan just had a little bit more juice in the tank. And again, 4-5, 30-40, Radakanu serving. Wang Yafan hits a drop shot. Radakanu's there. She tries to blast a backhand in the face of Wang Yafan. That ball hits the net. Wang Yafan converts the break point. She breaks it to clinch the match. Massive moment uh, for Wang Yafan, who, with this result, by the way, currently sitting now uh, at, I believe, I want to say, let's see, where is she in the live rankings? I lost my spot. 29-year-olds at 77 in the live rankings, up 17 spots as a result of this week. Uh, my final stat for you, we have had 96 matches so far on the women's side. 37 of them, over a third, have gone to deciding sets. That doesn't feel extraordinary, but certainly feels like a, a notable number. And, you know, again, 9 of 32 seeds uh, eliminated on the men's side, 20 of 32 eliminated on the women's side. The men so far, 28 of 96 matches going to fifth sets. But I feel like the number of straight set matches, probably under 25 or 30. Uh, if you look at the men's draw thus far, that said the men 14 and three, as I alluded to in five set matches so far. And, you know, again, just to finish things up, shout out 19 year old Jerry Shung. He's uh, into the first round of, I said 19 year old, I meant 18 year old Jerry Shung. He is into the third round of a major for the first time in his career, up to a new career high, 139 as a result of doing so. Uh, who else did I not mention from a results standpoint? Alcarez got pushed. Lorenzo Sinego is such an athlete, such a showman. Alcarez too good down the home stretch. Same thing with Dimitrov. Was too solid with the serve with the plus one. Kokonakis just didn't have it in the end. The guy I should have spent way more time talking about on this show was Tommy Paul. He was excellent in his uh, 6-2, 3-6, 6-3, 7-5 revenge win over Jack Draper. First in three tries that Tommy was able to beat. The 22-year-old Brit, he's locked in physically. He's locked in from a focus standpoint. And I think his forehand looks even better than it did at portions of last season. So keep an eye on 14th seeded Tommy Paul, who next up again, very winnable match against Miomir Kesmanovic to set up what would be a really fun round. Round four against Alcaraz. Obviously, we saw Tommy beat Carlos in Canada and had play a really fun match against him in Cincinnati uh, just last summer. Tommy looked great. Grigor continues to look great. And by the way, he's sixth, according to Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. Sixth best chance to win this event, just 2.4%. Huge win for Felix Ogier Aliassime. Did he play his best? No. Did he grind his way to victory? Absolutely. And that's the sort of win he needs as he tries to build back up his confidence. Four sets over Grenier. Good match for Greek Spore. His serve, his forehand, just too much power for 18, 19-year-old, excuse me, Arthur Fee to overcome. Greek Spore, four-set win there. Ugo Umber is a player we don't talk enough about. The lefty, obviously known for his extreme grips, extreme serving position, extreme firepower. 
He's a heck of a mover as well. And the 25-year-old showed off that fluidity in a four-set win over the big-hitting Zheng Zhizhen of China with this win. Umber back up to his career high, 20 in the live rankings. Heck of a start uh, for the 25-year-old who has clearly just built himself back up into this sort of player with this sort of confidence moving forward on the ATP Tour. That said, this is our longest episode to date, and it's not because we're also doing this on video. It's because that was your best day to date of the 2024 Australian Open, a day for tennis fans everywhere to remember. Now, if, though, you're ready to start thinking about day number six, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed where we have a preview not just this day, but every day throughout the course of this 2024 Australian Open. Of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap day number six of this event as well. A shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rack and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.